the ability to say, okay, there are things that we can do from a content search engine optimization standpoint and branding standpoint that may be able to develop some, not immediate term, but medium and long-term benefits down the line for sales and the, the broader organization to ultimately capitalize on, right? That's something that you can build upon, but right, it doesn't change the fact that, hey, we have bills to pay, we have goals to hit, there's revenue to be generated, so what do we do, right? And I think that's where the ability to really prop up an outbound first sales organization is something that businesses of all shapes and sizes, right, whether you want to formalize it or not, have the ability to do and do really, really well, by the way. Welcome back to the Raw Take for CEOs, where we tackle today's issues and how they impact your business. And this is hosted by me, Dan. And Steven. We'll give you our raw take on what's important for your business. Let's get started. Here we go. So what is today? Today is June 2nd. Crazy. Crazy. Like, years halfway done. Almost. It's getting there, right? I feel like I'm losing track of like days and like time and stuff. Like people reference back to like different dates and points in times and conversations. And I'm just like, I have no concept of time in the past year. <laughs> uh, it had to move from like the last year has been crazy to the last like year and a half has been crazy. Cool. Corey, it's, uh, it's fun to be back on the podcast. I got kicked out for a few weeks. Uh, no, uh, we, we have been doing marketing, right? Yep. This, so this is our uh, final week of marketing May. Obviously, it's uh, tumbled a little bit into June right here on June 2nd. But we have like, kind of focused on what we've done with our marketing and mm -hmm. a lot of our marketing. You, you lead our marketing efforts now, but a lot of that started back in the middle of the pandemic hitting and uh, the activities we took, what we learned along the way. I mean, we started this with uh, Dan and I talking about the unintentional journey, mm -hmm. and it's definitely turned into a very intentional journey, which is what we want to like talk to you about in, in your own marketing and sales efforts. But it, it started out as very unintentional. We just wanted to deliver value to customers. Yeah. Yeah. It was both in terms of deliver value, but to kind of figure out our own path last, what, 13 months ago, something like that. You know, taking that hard look at what's next? How can we get out of this, right? So we talked about that on that first marketing podcast. We've had a couple other cool guests on on board. Yeah, you and uh, you and John, second week, talked to uh, Frog and Toad. Ah, sure. Check that out if you haven't listened. Yeah, that was that was good. They've got a retail business, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we worked with them. You know, they they had been doing some marketing. They'd been you know actually had a, a great product in the midst of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Rhode Island based company and uh, had yeah. a t-shirt that took like some of the words national. of, of, uh, <laughs> of uh, a governor mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, went national with it. But uh, you know, they wanted to like leverage, leverage that, continue the, continue the progress. So you, you and John talked about kind of what they were, what we were doing with them, how they have found success. And then you and Dan talked last week about yeah. tech stack, which is very core to what we do is the technology that surrounds it. But once again, the theme was, it's not the technology that does it, it's the technology that enables it. Enables it, gives you the data, whether it's marketing, whether it's workflow. I mean, that has been our, our motto, at least one of my mottos is products don't solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> people don't solve problems. Yeah. We can't throw people or software at problems, but the combination can make it more efficient. That's kind of why I'm really excited for today's podcast. We have a guest, Steve Cornwright. Known him for a long time, impressive background and kind of a guru whiz in terms of some of these things going on. Uh, but it's really going to be a cool flip, right? We talked about the retail side and a lot of that kind of a, was a discussion about building the community, ads, um, how a retail business kind of uh, pivots and survives in this environment. And then today is going to be a little bit more about the service-based business. What is a service-based business? Um, how do they develop their marketing strategy? And what are some things that they should be talking about or thinking about? 
I think the other thing we want to kind of talk with the audience today is moving from you know marketing to sales because mm -hmm. in, in June we want to we, we do want we want to make June about sales and how we think about sales how we recommend customers think about sales yeah. and uh, Steve spends a lot of time thinking about the intersection of marketing and sales what is marketing what is sales where do they overlap and, and how do you how do you define them and why is it kind of helpful or important to think about this as a small business owner because a lot of small business owners are just going to be like well I just need to drive more revenue so don't talk to me about academics of marketing and sales uh -huh. but it is it, it can be helpful as you look to develop this as a core competency of the company right uh -huh. your core competency does not just need to be the service you provide or the product you deliver it needs to be how do you develop the marketing and sales engine uh -huh. so that you can continue to deliver that yeah, and that's something that we will get into a lot more today. We talked a little bit about that last week as well in terms of you don't need to bring on a ton of people, but you do need to make marketing a uh, a core of your DNA business, right? It's no longer it's no longer looking through the phone book and looking for the A's and finding that plumber with the A title, right? You have to reinvent yourself and marketing has to become a core of kind of one of your core competencies moving forward. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you need a team of 10 marketing people, but someone's going to be responsible for that. You have to own that domain, right? Yep. You know, you have to be in control of it. Yeah. So some of the stuff we'll talk about today, but I'm excited for that. And let's cool. bring Steve in. Let's bring him in. Hey, Steve. Hey there, everybody. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> happy Wednesday. Happy June. Yeah. Happy Wednesday. Happy June. It's crazy. We're, uh, we're almost halfway through 2021 here. I think that was like Corey's first words when we started the intro. It's like, can you believe we're almost halfway through here? It's uh, nuts. But uh, yeah, we're in the midst of you know all of our planning customers in the midst of uh, developing their uh, adjusted budgets for the year. Where have you been? What have you seen? What do you expect for the next half of the year? And a lot of that has to do with with sales and marketing. So we just kind of gave a a brief intro to uh, you know what we're what we're hoping to do here. You know, we have spent the last May talking about marketing, and June is going to be about sales. And you know, you're right here in the in the the, the pivot of it um, to talk about sales and marketing. Yeah, we've had a lot of cool discussions together, Steve, in terms of like viewing those two things very differently, right? Just despite the fact that people want to view them together. So I'm excited to get into that with you and kind of some of your experiences and what you've done along those lines. But maybe, Steve, if you can give kind of a little bit of background about yourself and what you've been up to first. Sure thing. So I started my career back in 2010. I graduated from Bucknell and kind of did what I think everyone expected me to do, right? And I went and worked on the sell side on Wall Street for the first three years of my career. I had a friend of mine who was like kind of in a similar boat, but on the buy side, who lifted the veil and kind of exposed me to this entire universe or technology ecosystem that like, frankly, at that point in my life and in my career, I thought I didn't know existed, right? Especially like in New York on the East Coast. I thought if you were a tech company, you're in Silicon Valley, you know, in San Francisco, I had no idea the gravity and the depth to which like the Northeast in particular was really growing. And it sparked my interest, right? I saw this like alternative career path in technology sales and I jumped at the bit. So I have spent the better part now of the last 10 years or so, mostly working at venture back companies in sales and sales leadership roles, had a corporate stop over at Gartner, which was a tremendously valuable experience. I, I speak about, my, about that experience actually quite frequently. And it's something that I think is very much framed uh, who I am, how I operate. And I've taken some of those best practices and just taken them from the enterprise, right? And really kind of applied them within small and medium-sized businesses, high growth startups, et cetera. Today, what am I up to? Uh, I'm someone who probably wishes that I had 30 to 35 hours in a day. 
I run a company called Magic Desk, which is an IT solutions provider that works with other small and medium-sized businesses. And then I have a sales consulting business as well. So I try and stay very close right to that venture-backed technology ecosystem, working with a slate of clients right now on a variety of things, right? There's sales tech stack, strategy, go-to-market, execution, staffing, really kind of everything under the sun with respect to sales and predictable revenue generation. So yeah, uh, I'm someone who definitely could use a few extra hours a day. <laughs> I think, I think uh, you're, you're talking to the right audience because I think they all kind of ditto, ditto that. Cool. And, and uh, you know, we crossed paths with Steve, uh, Dan and I actually down in New York on a, on a stopover. That was about probably four or five years ago. Totally, totally different context, different role, but got to Magic Desk and that made, we made some connections, got, got reintroduced. It's, uh, it's been fun. But like, let's talk about like sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about that and, you know, we are big fans, you know, we, we kind of got into, you know, marketing six, seven years ago, developing content. We, we knew it was all about content, but in the last probably 18 months, we've really kind of uh, more formalized that and made, uh, made a really intentional journey in terms of how we're going about marketing and how we're going about sales to the point where we are now, you know, offering marketing as a service to our customers, right? It's the newest service that Growth Lab provides because we uh, we do use data. We use, you know, very kind of like determined steps to get from point A to point B. And especially for service businesses, right? We want to kind of wait today's conversation based on service businesses, which you're in, which we're in, which we, you know, a lot of our customers are in that, how is that different from like a product business? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think the first thing here, right, is the, the lines are blurred in today's world between sales and marketing. And I think that so many folks, and not incorrectly, by the way, right? Clump them together. You hear countless founders, CEOs, sales leaders, marketing leaders, when they talk about sales or marketing, they oftentimes say sales and marketing, right? And that's for good reason. The reason is, is that they're hugely massively complementary. I think there's a massive misnomer, right? In the sense that marketing comes before sales. That's true in some cases, but not all the time, right? If you think of marketers, Uh, and in particular product marketers, right? There's this this entire specialty field that is focused on folks on marketing, being able to drive usage and upsells, right? Within a given product. And I get it, this is is not about product-based businesses. We're gonna talk about service businesses, but I think just to call out the fact that it isn't necessarily a linear or chronological idea behind marketing comes before sales or vice versa, et cetera. The other piece of this is that when I say that they're complementary, there's a shared goal at the end of the day right? Salespeople, marketing folks, the real reason as to why we exist, right, is to ultimately generate revenue for our businesses, for our clients, for our founders, for our stakeholders, our shareholders, et cetera. So I think that is something that you're you're seeing far too many sales and marketing departments that are in tension with one another, where there's a lot of finger pointing saying, well, marketing didn't generate enough leads or sales didn't close the leads that marketing generated. At the end of the day, right, there should be shared KPIs that allow for these two departments to really be moving in the same direction with that shared goal. But what's the difference, right, to me? And I'm someone who, by the way, for context for everybody else, I want to fall on the sword here before before we even dive into it. I'm not a marketer. I don't consider myself to be somebody that has a good or professional marketing bone in my body. I'm a sales person, sales leader, I think, through and through and through. Yep. Um, But what is marketing compared to sales, in my opinion? I think that marketers at the end of the day are speaking to the masses, right? What they're doing is on the front end, right? If we are gonna take that idea that marketing comes before sales is that they're 
real primary focus is to drive attention and interest, right? To let people know that Growth Lab exists, to let them know that Magic Desk exists, service-based business A, B, and C exists at the end of the world and really educate the market as far as who you are, what you do, and why you're different. Sales, on the other hand, is a much more one-to-one conversation or it should feel that way, which is something right. that I think we're, we're going to peel back the onion on a little bit. I, I like ahead. that definition, um, and just to like jump in, I, I like that definition of marketing is more like to the masses. Um, you know, for us, it's been about kind of even shortening that sales cycle, right? That, that's where the, some of the content comes in, right? To your point, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not linear from marketing than sales, right? You, you know, you, they, they're, they're in, interspersed. Um, but the, you know, that, that the whole, the whole, the whole content piece is, uh, is a big, uh, big piece of the, the puzzle here. So we're, so you, you touched on something, Steve, at the beginning of that, where sometimes it's not always sales before marketing or marketing before sales. Is there certain, like, how do you think through that? How do you define which one comes first and in the process? Or is, is there like a trigger to that? I, I, well, I, in my experience, so much of that, I think is really related to, or directly connected to the state of your business, right? Um, I've had the benefit of working with some incredible marketing leaders over the years, but those were businesses that were venture backed, right? Seed, Series A, Series B, Series C, where we had abundant resources to really be able to invest in a professional marketing department. I bootstrapped Magic Desk, right? So when we think of budgeting and the ability to deploy resources in at a given point in time, I don't have that luxury, right? So we are very much a sales led organization. So I think so much of that, when we say, hey, does marketing come before sales or how do we formalize that? It's, a, it, it's very much specific to the business. I don't know that there's a general rule of thumb as to when that inflection point might be, but I think that there are things that you can do, right? That even if you aren't a professional marketer, I mean, MailChimp in some, in, in certain ways, right, can be leveraged in a totally free capacity. And it's something that I'm testing with, again, somebody without a marketing bone in my body, uh, I've put together some what I consider to be like nifty HTML emails, right, that go out to targeted lists. But at the end of the day, I think for us and for a lot of the earlier stage, even venture back companies that I work with in my consulting business, the ability to say, okay, there are things that we can do from a content search engine optimization standpoint and branding standpoint that may be able to develop some not immediate term, but medium and long term benefits down the line for sales and the, the broader organization to ultimately capitalize on, right? That's something that you can build upon, but right. It doesn't change the fact that, Hey, we have bills to pay. We have goals to hit. There's revenue to be generated. So what do we do? Right. And I think that's where the ability to really prop up an outbound first sales organization is something that businesses of all shapes and sizes, right. Whether you want to formalize it or not have the ability to do and do really, really well, by the way. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And, uh, you know, kind of under, an undercurrent there is, you know, you, you work for all the venture, these venture bad companies that, you know, once they get the flywheel going, they can spend cash on it, right? And they have to spend cash on it, right? They don't be efficient with that cash. They just have to like, it's, you know, it's often a land grab, right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't care if it costs me, you know, to put an ad out there, 50 bucks a click or five bucks a click. I just need to know that there's clicks getting done, right? But as a, as a more of a small business owner bootstrapping it, you don't have that luxury, right? And a lot of our, our listeners don't have that luxury, if that is a luxury, right? But I think especially in the service side, like one of the things that, uh, you know, tell me if you found it, but, you know, spending money on ads is not necessarily going to drive the right customer, right? And so therefore, you know, you need to target your spend and it's better to target it on possibly, you know, that outbound cut a cold email, cold calls, you know, as, 
as archaic as sometimes I get the feedback in the market, right? Who's doing cold calling anymore, right? But you know, at the same time, you know, one of the most effective like strategies for is is, is mailers, right? Who actually thinks that mailing something to a customer is like in in the USPS actually drives value, but that's probably one of the best like ROIs for, for certain businesses, right? And that outbound, like we found that outbound cold, cold outbound emails, cold outbound calls, you know, that is a good way to target resources when you're when you're in the service world versus the ads, which, you know, drive volume, but probably not, or maybe not the right kind of volume. Yeah, I mean, like speaking from my own experience, there, there's a few points on this, right? Broadly speaking, paid spend is the lowest ROI channel that, that you can have, right? It is expensive. You don't know if you're actually going to target the right people and conversions are sort of a question mark. It's something that we tested with actually very early on, very early days with Magic Desk. Thankfully, it wasn't a lot of money, but to be totally honest with the with the broader audience here, I would have been better off starting a bonfire, right? With, with the money. We got absolutely nothing from it. Now, here's the thing. Again, I'm not a marketer. Could I have done it better? Probably, right? Are there better ways? Are there agencies that I could have turned to? to sharpen that sword and probably get some positive ROI on it? Absolutely. But broadly speaking, right, paid search is something and paid paid marketing is something that just is very expensive to do. Your, your, your cost of acquisition goes through the roof. For me, the most predictable, scalable, and high margin way to grow your, your audience is through outbound. And Stephen, you bring up some really, really good points about, and it, it triggered me in some ways, right? You talked about mailers. So in the vein of outbound, right? Let's talk about mediums for a second. What are the various ways that you can actually reach out to people in mass, right? One is email, then there's the phone, then there's social media, and then pre-COVID, right? You could do in-person. You could go to conferences, you can meet people, you go to a happy hour, et cetera. Meetups or something, right? I, I know all of us probably like really want to come back. I think we're missing that human interaction. Well, let's focus on the first three. Email to me is the way for a salesperson or a sales department to actually do some of the heavy lifting that marketing does, right? There are unbelievable sales automation tools to make it feel like a very one-to-one -one personalized conversation. But for me as a sales leader and as an entrepreneur, my expectation isn't that I'm going to generate pipeline through those emails. If you're doing email only sequencing or campaigns, et cetera, I have news for you. If you're an entrepreneur, you are very likely to be let down you're going to see conversion rates probably sub 1% at the end of the day. The second medium of, of social media. So e email being the noisiest place, I, in my opinion, right, and the data would, would support this, uh, is far and away the noisiest place that you can meet somebody. So if I can write some killer email copy with great subject lines, get you to open those emails and at least understand, right, who is Magic Desk, who is Growth Lab, I'm now kind of on your radar. I might not be at the front of your mind, but there are ways that I can play to that emotion of being able to say, okay, Growth Lab exists in the marketplace. This is what they do. This is why they're valuable. But I'm very unlikely as a prospect to reply and say, hey, Steve and Corey, I, I'm dying to meet with you guys, right? Just unlikely. Part of that is because for service-based businesses, you need to find them when they're looking. But you, if they're looking for you on the, like searching for you, they're probably not going to find you, right? So to your point, like you got to be on their radar. So even though the open rate might be low or, or the reply, you know, the, the, you know, the conversion, you know, they're, at least you get on the radar, right? So that's kind of where like it's partly sales, partly marketing, right? Because you, you are doing that as a salesperson, hoping to get a conversion. But part, but part of it is just to make that awareness, build the brand, make sure that they're, they know that players like you exist in the marketplace. Completely, right? So second medium, right, is social media. 
So social media is certainly less noisy, right? I can go, I can shoot you a DM on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera. You don't, you very likely don't have the volume of emails, right? Professional from vendors, from co customers, contacts, et cetera, that are flooding into your social media channels, right? So it's a less noisy place and it can get much more personalized. And there are ways to do this with automation and at scale and still get those benefits. But my favorite, right? And this is something that I think is like sort of off brand in many respects as a millennial, the phone. Right, the phone is the single most underutilized tool by small business owners, salespeople, sales leaders, all different sizes, stages, stripes, etc. The phone is the single best way to to create top of funnel meetings and opportunities. And if you are able to combine those, right, take take what you're doing on email, take what you're doing on social media as a way to educate, right, drive attention and interest, and then be able to connect with somebody on the phone and convert them into a meeting. This is the most powerful tool that most companies, I think, just have the wrong idea around why, why would we do it? Are we spamming people, right? Is, is telemarketing, right? Is that something that's dead? I can tell you with 100% confidence, both as an employee, right, in my previous life as a sales leader, my consulting business, and for Magic Desk, the single best place, the single best medium that we've created meetings, opportunity, qualified opportunities, and subsequently revenue has been through the phone. And it's an alarming, alarming, alar like disproportionate amount. I'm talking like 80, 85% of that top of funnel activity in, wow. in terms of qualified discovery meetings have come from the phone as opposed to email, social, or in person. But we're, and that's fascinating because I think that that's something that's, you're absolutely right. Like a lot of people get angst about picking up that phone and calling someone. But I think what- Even my own employees. <laughs> half the time, I'm just like, pick up the dang phone and call customer. me. <laughs> but I think what you're touching on, Steve, is like, it's not just picking up a phone book and going down the list of people and just calling every single person that, that, that's in that phone book, right? There's a big element here that is leveraging t uh, data to inform who those people are that you're calling, right? That's That was what last week's podcast was about that we did was all about like the tech stack, right? And people need to understand some of the availability around how they can target individuals that are in their perfect sweet spot. And there is technology out there that allows us to do this now more than ever. So just real quick here, right? So this to me is sort of like a multi-phased process, right? For businesses. And, and I would venture to guess, especially on the, the service side, small and medium-sized business segment is that most people don't know really well, right? What they're, what we refer to as ICP, right? What's your ideal client profile look like? And there are ways to stress test this, right? And I've been a part of businesses, by the way, where we've hired interns and for two weeks, all they did was call different customer segments to get an understanding of, hey, quick two, three minute survey. I wanna understand how you're doing, how you handle finance internally at Acme Corporation, right? And just gather that data. And then you can have some, some you can attach a hypothesis to say, hey, maybe that there are folks that we haven't tried working with in the past that actually would really value our service and, and solution, right? That's number one. And then number two, to your point, Corey, right, about like building lists. We're not grabbing a phone book, ripping out a page and just banging through names, right? Mm -hmm. When you have an understanding or a hypothesis around who your ICP is, tackle that, right? But then you could take it a step further and say, okay, if I do know who what my ICP is, how do I further stack the deck in my favor? There's a variety of marketing tools that are out there, but purely on the data and sales side of things, 
Um, most of the data providers, your Zoom infos of the world, right, think that sort of, that, that type of tool are able to provide what's called intent data now. So now, right, if you can hit those check boxes around demographically, firmographically, and geographically, these are the folks that we know we provide an inordinate amount of value to. What the intent data will allow you to do is say within that box, mm -hmm. right, who's actually in market for the types of things that you provide. Right. And if you provide a laundry list of services, and this is something actually I, I want to talk to you guys about, just focus on the one thing that you know they're interested in. Right. Don't right. sell through email. Don't sell through a cold call. The entire purpose of anything that you're doing on the outbound front is to sell the next step. It's not to sell your solution. Right. So if I'm, I'll, I'll give you my business as an example. We're an IT solutions provider, right? IT is something that is, 10 million miles wide and 10 million miles deep. You could do a million and one things with respect to IT. What we do is private cloud infrastructure as a service, virtualization and help desk. Now, let's say Steven, you are in my ICP, right? And I know that you're running searches for help desk support. Would it do me any favors to message you or cold call you about private cloud infrastructure? You don't care, right? But if I were to call you out of the blue and say, Hey, Steven, my name's Steve from Magic Desk. Reason I'm reaching out is because we know businesses just like you are struggling with technical support. They're spinning their tires for minutes, hours, days at a time. That really takes them off task and takes them off of, off of your core competency and functionality. And what I'd like to do is just take 15, 20 minutes to understand how does a, a, a company like Growth Lab handle IT internally and more specifically handle help desk support. You're like, oh crap, this is something that like, really hits home for me. I'm actually running searches for help desk support right now for my business. How, how much more likely are you to take that meeting? Infinite, right? Totally. So to both of your point, like that technology exists, it takes, it takes work to set it up, mm -hmm. but you know, there's tools out there that you can say, here's, I want to know who or who, or, you know, the, the general people that are, that are searching for these 20 things. And you know, they won't, you won't get exactly you won't get the search history. That's won't get the search history, right? That's the non quite creepy side of it, but you can get a phone number, right? You can get a LinkedIn profile yeah. and that, that that's where, you know, it comes in like hit them up on email, hit them up on LinkedIn, hit them up on phone. You know, what, what do you, what do you find successful or what do you encourage people to do when they're looking, say, say they have all this information, right? How do you actually go about like turning that into an actionable thing for, cause you, you know, you can't do it all. I can't do it all. CEO can't do it all. But how do you turn that international framework for the team or a team to execute? So I'll try and make this as brief as possible. This is, I love this stuff, by the way. So like, this is the, the perfect question. I get like really, really passionate about these things. To me, it starts with structure, right? So something that I leveraged in prior roles, take for my own businesses is this, is this notion of batching, right? And scheduling. So what we do is I will take a group of prospects, whether that's by industry or by intent, and I batch them together, right? And then there's an outbound calendar, right? So outbounding for us, uh, I am someone who like, I don't, it's not that I don't believe in social media, but I think that for ROI and time to value, like the primary channels that we use, at least internally are email and phone that for us has worked inside of our business. We, we largely actually ignore social media, but the, the way that we do it is you basically run two batches at a time, right? Where we alternate email and call heavy days. So for example, if I have a hundred people in batch one, a hundred people in batch two, 
Monday will be my heavy call day for batch one. Tuesday will be my call heavy day for batch two. It just makes the work a little bit more manageable, but it also allows you, it, it provides you with that level of focus, right? As far as what am I, what am I working on within this specific day, this specific time block? That's number one. Number two is more qualitative. So when we batch these folks together, it could be by industry, it could be by search term, but all of the messaging that we're sending out to those folks is related to the, either their use case from an industry angle or the thing that they're interested in from an intent side, right? right? So this allows us to, again, when we think about focus, get hyper, hyper, hyper focus on a specific message that we can deliver for three, four, five hours straight, right? Whether that's via email or, or on the phone. I don't have to change gears, right? Like salespeople, I say all the time, we like to do, KISS is, a, is an acronym, right? Keep it simple, stupid is, is what it stands for. And to keep it simple, if I know that I'm working a financial services list that everyone is, is interested in either cybersecurity or help desk support, I can just hammer that message home for hours on end and get those results, right? Yeah, there yeah. is some, there is an element of what I like to refer to as like flow that people think that you, you know, if you're going to do cold calling, for example, um, you do it for 10 minutes. And if you don't get a, you get a meeting, it was time not well spent. Well, right. yeah, you only did it for 10 minutes. You know I mean? <laughs> How many phone calls did you make? There's a, a, an element of volume, right? And like outbound sales and sales in particular is a numbers game. It's a math equation at the end of the day. So if your conversion metrics are four and a half, five percent 5% on cold outbound to a qualified discovery meeting, guess what? Make a hundred phone calls, you're gonna get five meetings. And then if you qualify 50% of them and then win 40% of them, guess what? You spit out revenue at scale. And if you just do that over and over and over and over again, hey, there's our predictable revenue machine. It's a process. It's it's not, people can't approach this as a ad hoc. I'm just going to, today I'm going to pick up the phone and call a few people. Like it, there needs to be a process involved. Otherwise, nothing, you can't expect results. Exactly. I want to take it, I want to take it a, a step back for a second. And you touched on this briefly, Steve, but it's something that we we talk a lot about internally is like, there is this element of marketing, right? And call it marketing, if you will, but there is a foundational piece to this, right? You can't just open up business. To, I'm sure you could, but you can't just open up business tomorrow and start cold calling people, right? Because what, what we found, at least personally, from our own experiences in the service-based business is that what what people often do is then they go online and they do their research about you, right? Or if they haven't done it already, they're going to, right? There are some foundational things that people need to do. They don't need to be like technical gurus, but you need a website, right? You need, your business needs to be on Google. Like there, there's those foundational pieces that people still need to get up to bat for. Can you talk a little bit about, little bit about what you look for in that or do you look for that at all? Oh, completely. And, and and so like it's 2021, right? If you don't have a website that if nothing else serves as an informational billboard for people to be able to access you on the internet, I think you're doing yourself a great disservice. It's not to say that what you do is not valuable, yep. right? But to your point, people, the, the access to information is at a level that it has never been at, right? In, in our, in human existence and the internet's there, right? And especially if you're in a service-based business, I will bet the farm, right? That there's someone eerily similar to you that exists out there, that if you're not taking the opportunity to have a website and at least, 
you know, make, have a website that looks good, you are doing yourself a great, great, great disservice, right? So that's number one. So you're 100% right, by the way, uh, as, as far as that's concerned. I do think that there's also this notion of what elements can we add to our website, right? There's informational stuff, number one, who you are, what you do, the background of the business, your vision, your why, right? To, to draw from Simon Sinek, but also testimonials, right? People, it is one thing for me to tell you how great Magic Desk is, right? I, I'm biased and I'll, I'll tell you that I'm biased, right? It's my business. Obviously, I think that we're the best uh, IT solutions provider for small and medium-sized businesses that are out there, but you know that I'm biased, right? Not only have I told you, but you also know this is in the back of your mind. Like, hey, Steve is incentivized to tell me that he is the best thing since sliced bread. When it comes to, to when it comes to IT solutions for small and medium-sized businesses, when it comes from other people, it's a totally different ballgame, right? To not take my word for it, and instead take our clients' word for it—that we make promises and then we deliver on them—I think that is something that is relatively easy for a lot of companies to do, but they just don't capitalize on it, right? And it's kind of it's an underutilized resource or an untapped resource that so many small businesses, I think, are just missing the boat on. And it's something that like literally could take five, 10, 15 minutes of focused attention, call your clients, have an interview, ask them if you can use their name and their company. It's free marketing for them as well. You put their logo up on your website and everybody wins, right? It's win, win, win. It's win for you. It's win for your, for your customer. And it's win for your would-be customer, your prospect who can feel a little more objective, right? In the evaluation of, is this a company or a firm that I am open to even evaluating? at the end of the day, forget doing business with, right? Do I even want to evaluate whether or not it's worth it? Right, right. And, and I think for uh, just on the customer side, like something we're just something we're doing in June, we're making June customer month, right? And uh, calling all of our customers. So all the customers listening, expect a phone call from the team, right? Part of that is you're going to get some, like you guys are so fantastic, right? But I, I guarantee you that there's going to be some expectation I'm, I'm missing out there among our among all of our customers. And hopefully with these calls, I uncover that, right? And I uncover that so that I can meet that need. So, you know, marketing doesn't stop once they uh, getting that feedback, you know, that, that, that market feedback doesn't stop when uh, they start paying you money. You, you can continue to engage with them, turn them into long, long-standing customers. I mean, that, that is our goal is to, you know, have customers that we have a long-term relationship with, not just like 12 months in and out, right? It's, it's you know, five, five, 10 years, the length of the business, right? We want to be there with you until you outgrow what we can provide to you and you need to bring that in-house. You know, I want to be there as your partner. Absolutely. Cool. So what, what's, uh, what's one thing you try to avoid in marketing or sales? Oh, one thing I try to avoid. Um, it, it's, I, I think salespeople are, are particularly prone to this. It's overselling. It's over communicating right in that initial outreach. The reality is right. And, and this to me is becomes a bit of a balancing act, right? Cold calling works number one, right? That's assumption or principle. Number one, it absolutely works. I think that where it goes awry for a lot of lot of folks is that, as I mentioned before, you try and pack in the whole sales cycle into like a two, three minute conversation, right? Sell the next step. Do not get lost in the details or the weeds around everything that you provide and your solution and the pricing and then this, right? The next step is to have an open, transparent conversation and do, it's called a discovery call for a reason, right? You need to discover whether or not there is an opportunity for you to, to provide value, positive ROI, and ultimately help that customer achieve whatever business outcomes it is that they're trying to achieve. So this for me, I, I know that if I get on a call and I find myself talking a lot, I'm doing it wrong, 
right? All I want to do, I know it's an imposition. In fact, I tell people that, hey, Stephen, I know, I know you weren't expecting my call. I know this is out of the blue. The reason I'm calling is X. And what I'm hoping for is 15, 20 minutes of your time. Not today, not right now, but sometime later this week where it's more opportune, right? Since it's an imposition, since they weren't expecting it, even if you were going to have that deep conversation about your solution and about their business, guess what? It's not focused, right? They're going to, they may engage with you. They may have the conversation. It may feel like a win. You may hang up the phone after a 15 minute cold call being like, oh man, that was great, right? But guess what? That person's getting right back to work on whatever it is that they were in the middle of when you called them and they were going to forget you really, really quickly. Yep. So I, I think the the number one thing, and I don't know if it's the number one thing or if it's, if, or if it's just the first thing that popped into my head, right? Is you see this very constantly with either young salespeople or folks that just haven't been doing it a long time where they try and just pack in, right? That entire sales cycle into like a two, three minute cold call. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think, it doesn't happen now. I think that's a, I think that's a great, a great point, right? Because uh, the, you know, the small business owners, they are starting this out, whether they're starting out the, the marketing sales journey, like from, you know, from, from ground zero or whether they're partway down the road, they're probably going to like bring in an intern or bring in a, a person out of the, the service department to like start doing some of these things. Right. And, and what are the, what are the, what are the stumbling blocks? Like that's, that's one of them trying to be like, just like finish it all in, in five, 10 minutes. Right. It, okay. it is a process, right. You got to build a relationship. Right. And I think, uh, you know, one thing, other thing that that triggered for me is uh, overselling in a different way, not just trying to pack it all into 15 minutes, but over, over setting expectations, right? We can solve the world for you, right? I just had a conversation yesterday. The guy, you know, I didn't even bring it up. He's like, okay, I want to talk to you. Here's what I need. And don't tell me about everything else you can provide because I don't give a crap. <laughs> Use different words. <laughs> um, I just want to know that what you tell me you're going to do, you're going to do it well. And uh, he's like, and I, and I show up, I show up promptly for meetings. And I was like, oh, and I was three minutes late, <laughs> so that that didn't start things off on a good front. But it's oversetting those expectations. So whether you're trying to crunch things into too short of a time frame, or you get people that are trying to oversell what you can deliver as a as a company, like start start small, right? Build that relationship. Start with you know help desk, then move to like the the, the you know the, the cloud infrastructure, then move to hey, you know what? I can actually help you on the sales side too, right? So, so in this, so my, my initial answer, by the way, was on the, the, the cold calling, right? Prospecting front. We were talking about sales as a overall role, right? And, 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 and what it is that you're ultimately trying to achieve. And thank you, Stephen, by the way, for, for triggering me on this, but you're hundred percent right, right? I think that so many people sell on features and functions, right? No one cares at the end of the day. I, I worked at a product company years ago. I'm not going to say who it is, but the founder at one point came to me and said, hey, uh, I want you to share how you demo our product to, to prospects because your conversion rates are amazing. You're selling at an unbelievable clip. Like we want everybody else doing the demo that, that you're doing. <laughs> I looked at the founder and I told her, I said, listen, I hate to say this, but I've never demoed the product once. Frankly, I don't even know if I, if I could tell you how to, how to log in. Now, does this mean that I was just like wheeling and dealing, right? Slinging it, as they say. Absolutely not, right? What it was that I was doing, to your point about expectations and how we go about selling, is I sold on business outcomes, mm -hmm. right? People didn't work with us because a button sat here, or it was a nifty product to navigate, and it looked cool, and there were dashboards, and this. No, not that, that's none of the clients that we worked with ultimately cared about that. They cared about saving time, saving money, and mitigating risk. 
right? That's what almost all buying decisions boil down to are those three oh, things, yeah. right? So can you do all three? Awesome. You're near bulletproof, right? If you do two of them really well, again, awesome. But if you do one really well too, that's something that you can sell on. But you have to be able to ask the questions in a, in a really articulate way, I think, in a meaningful way to get your clients not thinking about just your product as a vendor relationship, right? Or your service as a vendor relationship. But in, in working with you, what business outcomes do you ultimately deliver? Because that then, to your point, really strengthens the relationship. It makes you, it takes you from being a nice to have to a need to have, really, yeah. at the end of the day. Cool. Fascinating. I'm kind of in, in closing here. I want to take it back to something that you, uh, I've been thinking about a lot that you brought up. Because I think that like what it came down to what you just talked about was like the measuring, right? Uh, the metrics behind it, right? And there's, there's a ton of different metrics, but you pointed on something that I hadn't really thought about before, which was like the marketing and sales team, although there may be some overlap in certain things, they are very distinct, but at the end of the day, they need to share core metrics, right? There, there needs to be an overlap in some of them. For the founders out there, the CEOs, can you talk a little bit about like what some of those metrics that you may think about are, especially the overlapping ones? Because I think that's a, it's an interesting point. Yeah. So the, let's talk about the sales funnel first, right? And, and there are, when you think of stages or parts in the process, right? There's a million and one ways, I think, to muddy the waters. Let's oversimplify it for a second, right? Kiss, keep, keep it simple. I think of it that there are like really three primary uh, conversion metrics, right? I want to know what my cold outbound to a discovery call conversion is. When I have those discovery calls, I want to know what percentage of those are qualified and of those qualified opportunities, what's my win rate, right? Those to me, like across the funnel are the must-haves, I think, for any business, whether you're product-oriented, service-oriented, those are the things that you should be tracking, measuring, and seeking to improve upon. It's, it's also the way, I think it's a rudder, right, in many ways. You can start to understand where are the parts of your funnel that you need to focus on and improve on, right? If you have a killer win rate, but you can't generate any meetings, who cares, right? Like that, that that's that's sort of the, the way or the reasons that you would want to start to measure these things. For most small businesses, the single biggest bottleneck is at the very top of the funnel, right? Not being able to have enough discovery meetings. So I think that that is like the number one thing that for small businesses, for entrepreneurs, for CEOs, um, especially if you're doing founder-led sales, really at the end of the day, that is something that you need to take a really good hard look at and understand, A, what are we doing today? And B, how scalable is it? So if you're, you've seen this, I've had many conversations like this where you have CEOs, founders with fantastic networks and they're like, well, 70% of the people that I reach out to take a meeting with me. It's like, I believe you, right? Because of who you are, but is that scalable, right? And the reality is for 99 businesses out of hundred, the answer to that question is no. So I think those are the things to measure uh, first and foremost. And then Corey, what, what was the, the second part of that question? Um, was, was how some of you talked about how metrics should overlap between the sales and marketing teams, right? They should have shared metrics because the goals are ultimately should be aligned, right? Mm -hmm. That you don't have the marketing team saying, well, sales didn't close enough and sales saying, well, they didn't bring enough leads. How do you, how do you like, how do you cross those lines? How do you, what are some of those shared metrics that they should be? Curious of your answer. I mean, um, mine, and I, I'm not, not leading the marketing team here, but you know, it's, it's, it's what you just said. It's cold to mark, cold to meeting, meeting to qualified, qualified to close, right? Those mm -hmm. are not, those can be distinct KPIs, but if there's not that feedback loop, like if marketing is delivering crap leads and not getting meetings uh, or the meetings that they do get, get 
are don't convert. They're not necessarily shared metrics, mm -hmm. but they need to be feedback, right? So sure. I need different I need different content. Sales says, and I'm going to give you some of that content. Let's try this out. See if it leads to meetings that have a higher conversion rate. I don't know what you're. Yeah, the, the the answer to your question is not. There's not like a single way to think about this, right? But I think what what does it start with? How do if we can simplify it? Like when we think about shared metrics, let's reverse engineer it. So revenue goals, right? Sales and marketing exist to generate revenue for the businesses that they operate within, right? If we can then reverse engineer that same exact sales funnel, right? And you, it, the very likely thing, by the way, is that you'll have different conversions either from left to right or right to left, right? Depending on where that those, those leads were sourced from. Sales, when you're outbounding, right? You typically see lower conversions uh, from cold outbound to a discovery meeting than you would from someone raising their hand and saying, hey, I wanna speak to, to Growth Lab, right? Those are gonna be very different measurables. But if you think of what is the pipeline contribution at the end of the day between sales and marketing, that is the way to share those metrics and ultimately work towards a common goal. It also, for me, it's, it, it, there's also like a bit of data organization with respect to this. I think to, to Stephen's point, to have that feedback loop in a way that is meaningful, you have to be able to delineate between what is sales doing versus what is marketing doing. So having lead sources, right? Having things like lead scoring with respect to, you know, a sales lead, a sales qualified lead and a marketing lead. Those are very different people, right? Within your database, within your, um, within your sales or marketing framework. So being able to organize your data within the CRM, within your inbound marketing tool, whatever, it, whatever tooling you have underneath the hood, uh, that is to me, the only real meaningful way to have that feedback loop that can bring sales and marketing folks into a room together look at the data and have really honest conversations with each other around what's working and what's not. Under the hood on the execution side, is there a, are there tools that you've got your buckets that, you know, your cohort one, cohort two, 100 calls on Monday, 100 calls on Tuesday, you know, you, you how do you actually manage that? Are there any tools out there that you say, you know, I'm using HubSpot or, or I'm just using a good old, good old fashioned spreadsheet that my team is uh, uh, using? Is it, is it grunt work or have you found some like, tools that really make the process more efficient. So there's a million software tools out there that you could elect to use. I think for me, the way I think of it is you need lead gen, right? So how do I have, I need access to a database of people that fit my ideal client profile. I can get intent from, right? I know the quality of the data is high, so I'm not gonna get email bounces that ultimately hurt my domain, right? It starts with lead gen. Then you can seek, seek a sales automation tool. Right. I personally love outreach. Salesloft is another name that's out there. They largely do the same things. I am partial to outreach just because I've used it for years. And then there's your CRM, right? So for the data organization, for us, the way that we use it is really, you can elect to use it from like the day that an opportunity or a deal is created, or you could use it just for your current client base. The tooling that we use, I use Lift Certain for lead gen. I use outreach for sales automation and HubSpot is my CRM. And for like the small and medium-sized businesses that are out there, especially those folks that are service-based, this does not break the bank, right? I basically have within, you know, my small business, the feeling or the operational effectiveness and efficiency of a very large team, and it doesn't break the bank. I mean, my, my overall spend is much lower than, than most folks would, would realize, and we have a much more mature organization really because of it. And it comes back, I think, down to your ability to use that data that you're coming out that's coming out of this to inform the decision making for the next strategy. And I think that's like, in summary, like that's something that I think we've tried to to double down on or, or talk a lot about this past month. Is I think like people often just 
throw money at the wind in their marketing. And let's try this, let's try that, let's try this, right? Without coming back down to basics, taking a look at the data, using that to inform next steps, so. I don't know how many times I've looked at uh, acquisition targets for ourselves or customers, and you see a big, huge marketing spend one year no change in the revenue the next, <laughs> you know, you did not manage that at all. You just hired somebody to spend money and uh, it's, it's unfortunate. unfortunate. Yeah, it is, but this was awesome. I appreciate this, Steve. Great conversation. Always fun to talk to. Any last words you want to give the visitors where they can find you, how they can learn more about Magic Desk? Yeah, uh, shoot me an email. So you can reach me at steve at magicdesk.io. Um, you know, I'm here. I'm very responsive. Open door policy. No question is a dumb question, by the way. And as far as like a closing remark, thank you guys so much, by the way. I love chatting with you guys. You guys know how much fun we have uh, when we're not live on a podcast. So thank you so much for hosting me. This was a lot of fun. And I, I look forward to doing it again soon. Cool. Thanks for being on. Awesome. I enjoyed it. And I've got a customer for you. Sounds good. Thank Steve. you, guys. All right. Cool. Thanks, Thanks, Steve. Okay, Steve. That was good. That's a wrap for this week's Raw Take. That was great. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in the raw take for CEOs.